are excited that you would join us uh, for week two of our series, Interior Design. Anyone just excited to be at church and excited to gather together as a family? A family of believers, and if you're new to Northview, we are one church meeting across 12 different campuses, and if you don't have a home church, well, we'd be thrilled if you would consider this home. We think you'd be home among us, and you'd find that there are some great opportunities for you, your family, your children to plug into and grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, and I am excited about today's message, and I know you're going to be excited about it, because guys, today we are talking about our feelings, You're not excited. You're like, how do I get out of here? Where's the closest exit, right? But we are in a series called Interior Design. Scripture places a big emphasis on our mind, our heart, and our soul. Last week, we talked about our mind and what comes into your mind comes out through your life. And today, we're going to talk about the heart. And your heart, it it is a reservoir of emotion, And it is learning to manage our emotions, learning to to regulate them, learning to evaluate them, and then learning to articulate them. And it's learning to really steward well this, this heart that God has given you. That every single one of us has been hardwired with these faculties, these internal, you know, mechanisms, if you will, that allow us to get the most out of life. And the challenge is that sometimes we overlook them. And I believe that most of our issues in life stem from internal issues, not external issues. And so it's learning to make the most of our internal space. And so today, we're going to look at the heart. And jumping into it, here's what I want you to understand. The heart of the matter is the heart matters. And that seems like an obvious statement, but for a lot of people, they just go through life carelessly, maybe casually, maybe unknowingly or unintentionally managing and tending to their heart. And if you don't tend to your heart, well, you're going to take on turmoil. You're going to take on, you know, just some dysfunction. You might even endure some pain that is completely unnecessary. But it's your heart, and you're going to have to learn to manage it. And you're going to have to learn to articulate the things that you're feeling. And I think feelings are tricky. You ever found that to be the case? Feelings are incredibly tricky, and for a number of reasons, but two main reasons. One, feelings are tough because they're hard to hide. See, we think we're good at hiding our feelings. When everyone else around us knows that one's stressed out or that one's confused or that individual seems angry, annoyed, or impatient, we think we can hide our feelings better than we actually can. In fact, some of you right now, you think you have everybody fooled. When those around you, chances are they have a pretty good idea that one is going through a struggle and it's hard to hide your feelings. Have you ever found that to be the case? Like, I love people who blush. Anyone got some blushers in their family? The moment the conversation gets uncomfortable, like their whole neck lights up in hives, like they can't hide a thing. I always think to myself, why did God make that individual like that, right? And it's hard to hide your feelings. When Kristen was pregnant with our first daughter, our oldest, Riley, I remember being in the hospital and Kristen's blood pressure started rising to the point where the doctors were concerned. They had to hook her up to all these different monitors and they made everybody leave the room tried to get her calmed down, and eventually she was at peace. It kind of regulated the blood pressure. And so they started allowing family members to make their way back into the room, and things were going fine until one family member entered the room, and now Kristen hooked up to all these machines. The moment this individual walked in, everything started pinging, right? And it was clear, you're the problem, right? (laughs) 
you can't hide your feelings. Sometimes we think we can and we just, well, we take on unnecessary tension. In addition to that, feelings are hard because feelings are hard to explain. You ever found this to be the case? Like, look at this wheel. This is all the English language in our emotions. And don't you feel like this is your day? Like, you just wake up and you have no idea. Life is just gonna give it a spin, right? And before you know it, you're in traffic and you see that annoying person at work and you get a call from the school and then you walk home to chaos. And doesn't your life feel like that? But the challenge is, is we go through all these emotions and at the end of the day, we don't even know exactly what we're feeling. So we may say, well, I'm just angry. But in all reality, you might be jealous. Or in all reality, you might be annoyed or maybe even skeptical. It's really hard to assess our emotions and think, hey, what exactly am I feeling at the moment? Maybe it would be more helpful to you and healthier for your relationships if you understood deeper, more than anger, what is it that I'm dealing with in this moment? But what we resort to is really vague and exaggerated ways of articulating our emotions. Like if you ever talk to someone who had a rough night's sleep, so they wake up and they're tired, a little fatigued, they have a headache, maybe a little achy, what do they say? I feel like I've been hit by a car. Show of hands if you've been hit by a car, like as a pedestrian, not in another car. Yeah, there's like three of you. The, other, the rest of us, we can't relate to it. We've never been hit by a car, but that is a, well, that's a pretty common phrase. If you're achy in the body and you have a headache and you're tired, well, that's the equivalent of being hit by a car. And I'm guessing for the three of you in the room, you'd say, no, it's not. <laughs> being hit by a car was a lot worse. Or when we're elated, what do we say? I'm over the moon, excited. How many of you have actually been over the moon? I'm on cloud nine today. And I get it, these are just kind of ways in which we express things, but again, if the only way you know how to articulate your feelings is through vague and exaggerated expressions, you're gonna end up with superficial relationships. It's really hard to connect in genuine relationship when everything is vague and exaggerated. And so it is learning, how do I, again, regulate my emotions, also I can evaluate my emotions, then in turn to articulate my emotions. And I get the feeling some of you, you're just thrilled that you showed up to church to talk about this, amen? The Apostle Paul, he spoke a lot about this and he tells us this in the book of Ephesians. He says, guys, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now here's the deal, whether you are a Christian or not, you have been called by God. Whether you've woken up to that reality and whether you've fully surrendered your life to Christ is besides the point, every single one of you, myself included, have a calling, a specific purpose, and the architect of heaven has designed a plan for your life. And one of the greatest tragedies is to go through life and never discover, why on earth did God put me here? Why on earth did God put me here? You have a calling. And much of life is trying to figure out what that calling is and how to live worthy of that calling. He goes on to tell us, be completely humble and gentle, which are common themes all throughout scripture. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. We have to be patient with each other. Life doesn't come with instructions, right? It's kind of figuring it out as you go and we're all building a plane in midair. 
it's a little bit tricky. We have to be patient with each other. So he goes on to say, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity and the spirit of peace. I mean, how much effort do you put into unity? How much effort do you put into harmony? What's interesting is unity is, it's a theme throughout scripture. Last week we bumped into it when Jesus said, who can rob a strong man if he doesn't tie him up first? And he was talking about division and he was talking about a lack of unity. And what Jesus was saying is divisiveness, well, it is a byproduct of weakness. And now here you have Paul talking about spiritual maturity. And he's saying unity is a byproduct of maturity. I mean, it's amazing what scripture is leaning in on and is helping us to understand that wherever you find unity, you will find strong and mature people. And wherever you find division, you will find weak and foolish people. And listen, don't kill the messenger. I didn't write it, right? I'm just here to articulate it. But don't you sometimes read scripture and think to yourself, my goodness, did Paul write that on Tuesday? That seems really relevant to our world today. And what's amazing is Paul would, he would make his way throughout regions and he would talk to these different churches. And he's talking to how they relate to each other. And he's saying, guys, if this is how you act in a place like church, man, what does that mean for how you could possibly act in a world like ours? And so it's leaning in and saying, hey, I wanna be a good representation of God. And I also wanna be a good representation of myself. And that requires me learning to steward well the faculties within me, also that I can have healthier relationships and I can bring unity, harmony, and peace into a world that desperately needs it. I mean, we should corner the market on this stuff. And I think what happens is, is we just fall into drama. We are magnets to this kind of thing, and this is not me projecting shame, because I find that in my life, for whatever reason, there's something in my broken nature that gravitates towards drama. Have you ever found that to be the case? We just, we somehow are attracted to it. Makes me think of TNT. The other day I was watching a basketball game. It was during commercial, and there was a TNT commercial on TNT, which is funny, they're promoting themselves on their own platform. We're already watching it, right? And their slogan is TNT, we know drama, right? Like someone had to get together in a group of you know, writers and publishers, whoever was in the room, and got, like, guys, I know our niche. I know what is going to help our broadcast. Let's put out as much drama as we possibly can. People love this kind of thing. And I know this about drama. Drama just doesn't enter our lives. One, we either create it. Two, we invite it. Or three, we accept it. And it's just learning to say, if I'm not careful, I will either become susceptible to things or I will perpetuate some things that just add to more dysfunction in the world that I'm living. I mean, anyone got some drama queens in their life? Come on, show of hands. Maybe you're sitting next to the person. Some drama queens, maybe a drama king. We won't make it gender specific. Like some of you need to have a conversation with someone in your life and says, listen, sweetheart, today I am unsubscribing to your issues, right? (laughs) Just because you're a drama queen doesn't mean I have to treat you like royalty, right? It's just learning to say, hey, I have to draw some boundaries here 
Otherwise, it creates unnecessary turmoil, and it comes at the expense of my sanity and my relationships. So I have to be careful when it comes to this drama. Makes me think of all the conversations I have when an individual comes up to you flabbergasted and, and you've had a conversation like this, you can tell they're stressed out. You can tell they're upset or worried about something and they begin the conversation with this statement. We have a problem. <laughs> and I think to myself, no, we don't. You have a problem. You would like my help. I care deeply about you. I'm here to assist and advise. But we do not have a problem. I did not mismanage my money at the mall last weekend. That's your problem. I'm here to help. But it's just learning. This may be, you know, some of you think, I can't believe he's talking like this. But again, this is where we go sideways as followers of Christ. Yes, we're called to be compassionate. Yes, we're called to be caring. We're called to be loving. We're called to be patient. But we're also called to be wise. We're also called to be good stewards. And we're also called to be disciplined. And if you're not careful, you will allow things to take up residence in your life that don't belong there. So it's managing the heart well. He goes on to tell us this. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now watch this next statement. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. The, them due to the hardening of their hearts. And this is a theme that you see all throughout scripture. The, the hardening of an individual's heart. Some of you, you know someone who has a hardened heart. Some of you, if you find the courage to admit it, you would acknowledge that maybe you have a hardened heart or at times have developed a hardened heart. He goes on to say, they have lost all sensitivity and given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and check this out, and they are full of greed. Because when you have a hardened heart, what you do is you just try to fill the void with whatever you can. And so you just develop all these bizarre appetites and everything in your life just cries out for more. And before you know it, you develop just a greedy behavior and a mentality because you're always trying to fill Avoid, But he says, that, however, is not the way of life you learned. That's not the way of life you and I have subscribed to when we anchored our faith to Jesus Christ and we surrendered it all to him. We no longer take our cues from culture. We take our cues from Jesus Christ and we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Amen. That's where we take our cues from. So he goes on to tell us, when you heard about Christ and were taught in, uh, in him, accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, which the truth is found in Jesus, you should just know that. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And this ending statement is what I want to anchor us to today. In your anger, do not sin and do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And then he ends with this loaded statement. And do not give the devil a foothold. I mean, that one statement is so pregnant. In your anger, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil 
a foothold. Guys, this is tricky stuff. It doesn't come natural to any of us, and, and it isn't instinctive. It's something you have to develop as a discipline, and it's something that takes us thinking critically about the life that we're living. And here's what I'm convinced of. If you don't use your head, you will abuse your heart. Guys, this is so important. If you do not use your head, you'll abuse your heart. You will let down your guard and you will allow things, again, to take up residence in the depths of who you are. It's learning to manage your emotions. It is learning to think critically, truthfully, and learning to live anchored to your convictions and who you know you are in Christ. But here's the tricky thing about emotion. Well, 85% of the word emotion is motion. 85% of the word emotion is motion. In other words, your emotions, they move you. They move you. And if you look at this wheel over here, the one thing that you're gonna find in our English language is the majority of emotive words are negative. I mean, there's really only a small sliver here of happy and surprised. Everything else has a negative bent. And guys, here's the deal. It is really hard to pursue a positive future propped up on negative emotions. It is hard to pursue a positive future propped up on negative feelings. And so it is learning to say, hey, if my life is moved by the feelings and the emotions that I contain and express, am I proud of the direction my life is moving in? What I love about this is scripture was so far ahead of its time when it spoke to these matters. And Solomon would say this in the book of Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. The reason why it's called your heart is because it's your heart. It's not your spouse's heart. It's not your neighbor's heart. It's not your friend's heart. It's not your kid's heart. It is your heart. And it is your responsibility to guard it. Why? Well, for everything you do, for everything you do flows from it. And so it is learning. Again, guys, this is so important. And yes, it's uncomfortable. None of us really wanna sit in a room, especially a room this large with this many people and talk about our feelings. But there's something inside every single one of us that knows. If we can grow in this area, we'll get better. And not only will we live more fulfilling, healthier lives, our relationships will benefit. And ultimately, there are, there are three approaches to what to do with your emotions. And the first is to suppress your emotions, which we live in a world where there are tons of examples of this. In fact, we attend schools, work in companies. In fact, we return home to places where this has taken place. You wanna know someone who suppresses their emotions? This is a... Well, it's a problematic thing. We, we suppress our emotions, and then what happens is, is we create not only confusion for those around us, but we create some pretty severe problems deep within us. And it is learning, hey, I have to get better in this area. And it starts with me. Before I can go around and through life addressing other people, I have to address myself 
first. I have to get healthy, and then my relationships can get healthy. Does that make sense? Makes me think of flying. The stewardess always stands in the aisle and does the rundown. Guys, if we go down, it's these four doors that we're jumping out of, right? Here's how you put on a seatbelt in case none of you've ever done that in your life. It clips like this. And if oxygen were to decrease in the plane, well, a mask is gonna drop. And they always make the statement, they say, make sure you put on your mask before you help anybody else. And I always think to myself, that's ridiculous. If we go down, I'm helping my child first. Anyone else, you're a parent like that, you just swell up in pride. No, I'll help my kid first, right? And in that moment, I'm the fool, right? Clearly, they know something I don't know. Hey, if you would just get your mask on, you will be able to help others more quickly and efficiently. Take care of yourself, and then it will benefit those around you. And a lot of times what we do is our knee-jerk response is to try to assist other people, and then we neglect the work that it requires to actually work on ourselves. And guys, you're not gonna have healthy relationships if you are not a healthy individual. And so it is just learning, hey, I have to start here. And I, I gotta be careful that I don't fall into patterns relationally that are hard to sustain and that only perpetuate more dysfunction. See, I've had to learn this the hard way because I'm a tender-hearted person. I'm super sentimental, and I just love and adore people almost to a, def- uh, almost to a fault. And in my life, this, is, this has created challenges. I just wear my heart on the sleeve, and I go all in relationally. And at times, this is, well, this has backfired on me. I don't know, maybe you can relate to that. And something I've had to learn is the distinction between taking care and caretaking. Guys, there's a big difference between taking care. As followers of Christ, we're supposed to live full of love and compassion, taking care of those around us, serving others. But that's a big difference from taking care to caretaking. Caretaking means you move into the guest bedroom. You're the person who wakes up in the middle of the night. You cook breakfast and dinner. You tuck them in and you do everything for the individual. And you gotta be careful because when this becomes the pattern of your relationships, it's hard to sustain and it does come at an expense. And it comes at your expense if you're not careful. It's just learning, hey, I have to to be mindful here. And scripture, he tells us this. He says, you guys, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, hey, when you suppress your emotions, well, you're not being truthful in the relationship. You are not being truthful. He also tells us this in that same passage. In your anger, do not let the sun go down, on your, uh, go down while you are still angry. He's, he's saying, listen, you have to put a deadline to your feelings, and you have to learn to describe and articulate your feelings. And if you just suppress them, well, it's going to come at an expense. And we all do this, right? We all suppress our feelings. And I think every man in the room who is married is gonna understand where I'm gonna go next in this conversation. And for some of you men who are yet to be married, this is gonna be like PSEO, right? This is gonna be early education for you before you go into marriage because there are five loaded statements that women make. Five loaded statements that if you can learn to interpret these five statements, I mean, you are ahead of the game, right? And the rest of us would love for you to cue us in. Here are the five loaded statements used by women. One, 
fine. <laughs> Babe, how are you doing? I'm fine. That's a loaded statement. Here's another one. Go ahead. <laughs> hey, we're going fishing, me and the fellas. Go ahead. What does that mean? Right here, here's another one. Yeah. Whatever. Like everyone been hit with, have you ever been hit with a whatever? That's, that's a loaded one. Here's one. <clears throat> Nothing. Hey, what's the matter? Nothing. Which when they say nothing, they mean something. <clears throat> but there's one statement that in my book takes the cake. And that is, wow. <laughs> and how fast they say it is critical. It can be a quick like, wow. Or it can be like a, wow. <laughs> and that makes a difference. Come on, fellas, you've been on the phone with one of your buddies. Hey, I just told her about the camping trip. What did she say? She said, wow. Like, was she sitting down or was she standing up? She was standing up. What was she doing with her hands? She had one on the hip. How fast did she say it? She took her time. Was she by herself? Yes. So you're telling me she had that much attitude by herself. Bro, you're sleeping in a tent tonight. Those are loaded statements. And I know every woman in the room is thinking this isn't fair. A man has the microphone. Let Kristen speak. And if Kristen were to get up here, she'd say, well, here's the problem with men. They don't say anything. <laughs> in the same way we have conversations with our buddies, you women have conversations with your girlfriends. I just told him how much I spent at the mall. What did he say? He didn't say anything. <laughs> was he sitting down or standing up? He was sitting down. Was he watching the game or was he eating? He wasn't doing either. He was sitting down, not watching the game, not eating, and he didn't say anything. Girl, he's gonna kill you, right? <laughs> I mean, these are loaded statements, and this is what we do. We suppress what we're feeling, and then we leave those around us trying to think, what does that even mean? And here's the thing, if you suppress your feelings, you're gonna end up with emotional atrophy and emotional numbness. Guys, if you don't use them, you'll lose them. And before you know it, you develop what scripture calls a hardened heart. You lose this sensibility and you lose the ability to have genuine connections with those who matter most in your life. You just can't suppress your feelings. And I think this is true. It is better to have a broken heart, which is what we're all trying to avoid. But it is better to have a broken heart than a hardened heart. And I find that sometimes a broken heart is the only remedy for a hardened heart. You get down the road and you're so calloused around your heart that it requires a situation that just breaks, a, breaks down the callous of your heart. A broken heart is often the remedy for a hardened heart. But the challenge for many of us is so many people are running through life looking for an escape. Have you ever found this? We're all looking for an escape. I wanna be somewhere where it's sunny, by a beach. I wanna be somewhere where there's not hurricanes. I wanna be somewhere in the mountains. I wanna be somewhere where there's not snow. I wanna be somewhere away from singleness. I wanna be somewhere away from marriage. I wanna be somewhere away from complexity. I wanna be somewhere, you know, that's not as boring. I wanna be somewhere where it's, you know, more simple. And we're always trying to escape, right? If I can get to a different place than where I'm currently at, well, life will be better. And here's the annoying thing. What I'm gonna say next is gonna annoy you because it annoys me. And it's gonna be the one thing that you don't wanna write down. It's gonna be the one thing that you think, I don't know if I like him anymore. 
But here's the thing. Wherever you go, there you are. It's annoying, right? It doesn't matter if you're on a beach in the mountains. It doesn't matter. Wherever you go, there you are. And if you just constantly suppress your emotions, well, you're gonna end up with emotional atrophy and emotional numbness. The other option is, is well, you can express your emotions. But what does Paul say in that scripture? He says, in your anger, do not sin. So it's not wrong to have anger, but it is wrong with what you do with it. And I would say this, it is better to sit in your anger than to sin in your anger. And you can replace anger with any other kind of emotion. Let's just not pick on people who are angry. Let's pick on people who have all kinds of emotions, right? We're all guilty of this to some degree. And it is learning to say, hey, I just, one, I can't suppress it, but on the flip side, I just can't walk around expressing and projecting whatever I'm thinking and feeling at the moment. We live on two very opposite extremes and it's learning to live with more balance. I can't suppress, but it's probably not wise for me just to express whatever I'm thinking and feeling. Because chances are, if you give it an hour, you're gonna feel differently. And you might think to yourself, I wish I wouldn't have said what I just said. Have you ever been, you know, just fascinated by the things you hear people say when they're caught up in their emotions? Here's a question. Have you ever sat next to a mom at her child's game? I mean, the commentary you hear from a mother while her child is playing is unbelievable. Like, she's convinced everybody is out there to get her boo-boo, right? It starts with the referees. Look, he just don't like my kid. Like, not giving him any calls, just letting everyone foul him, calling the travel on him, didn't call travel down there. Make it both ways, right? And they're just killing the referee. And then it goes from the referees to the teammates. They're just looking them off. Look, they don't wanna pass the ball because they know my kid scores more than they do. Pass the ball, right? All the kids got together. They decided not to pass my kid the ball. And then what I love to hear is the moms in the stands, you know, getting frustrated with the coach. And it always happens when the coach starts to address their child and the mom is like, slow down over there. You know, and she thinks the coach is singling out their child. And it's just hilarious. It's just nonstop commentary, right? I think what I'm actually trying to say, guys, is I'd really appreciate if you prayed for my wife. (laughs) You can pray for the two of us. I, I just... We are wired very similarly, and on the sidelines, we toe the line in forfeiting our witness, right? Because there's something in you that just is so overwhelmed with feelings, and if you're not careful, you will just impulsively project whatever comes across the radar of your heart, and that's not wise. In fact, I would say it this way. The most impressive people are the least impulsive people. The most impressive people are the least impulsive people. They're the ones who say, hey, I just, I just can't go off the cuff on everything. And I just can't shoot from the hip. And I just can't project whatever I'm feeling in the moment. That's not healthy. It's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for my relationships. And so it is learning to develop some self-control. And here's how I would define self-control. Self-control is knowing you can but deciding you won't. Self-control, it's knowing you can. Right now, hey, I can let loose. Right now, I can say whatever I want. 
but it's choosing not to. I have some self-control. And one thing I'd wanna encourage you is, guys, never make a permanent decision in a temporary emotion. Never make a permanent decision in a temporary emotion. You get down the road and you think, ah, that's, that's not the best. That's not wise. And here's the thing. If we're not careful, we will set an example that will get reproduced and if anything, magnified by the next generation. So it's learning, hey, I'm going to learn to steward my feelings well, and I'm gonna help maybe the kids that I'm raising and the next generation that I'm influencing to do the same. She has me thinking about, probably about, I don't know, maybe eight years ago, I was in my cousin's wedding. And I was one of the groomsmen, and I was walking down the aisle, my cousin's new bride's cousin. So it's kind of like cousins walking cousins, right? We're coming down the aisle, my daughter is much younger at the time, and we come to the point where I'm right next to my family and I look over to smile at my family and I realize my daughter's not looking at me. She's looking at the girl I'm escorting. And then without hesitation, my daughter, who was about four years old at the time, looks at who's becoming my cousin and goes, <laughs> yeah. I don't know where she learned it. But we had to have a conversation about that afterwards. Like, hey, that's just not okay. <laughs> you just can't make that gesture to people. <laughs> and guys, the next generation, they're paying attention. They are paying attention. And my wife always says, they're not gonna do what we say. They're gonna do what they see. They're not gonna do what we say. They're gonna do what we see. And so one thing we find ourselves telling our kids, and I have to remind myself, and that is this. You can have a bad day and remain a good person. Guys, you can have a bad day and still remain a good person. And that is what anchoring your heart to Christ does. It gives you the fortification and it renews your character and your mind to allow you to Live a life that honors God in a world that rebels against him. You can have a bad day and remain a good person. So when things go wrong, don't go with them. When things go wrong, don't go with them. So you can suppress your emotions. You can express your emotions. Or lastly, I'd encourage you to process your emotions. And know this, where there is no process, there is no progress. So if you wanna take ground emotionally, if you wanna take ground relationally, you're gonna have to figure out a process. Again, to regulate your emotions, also that you can evaluate your emotions, to then in turn articulate your emotions. And Paul, he, he would speak about this not just in the book of Ephesians. In fact, he's, in the book of Galatians, he tells the church this. He says, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. God knew, hey, I'd change the world. I'd flip it upside down. If I could just break the narcissism off of individuals. Which, guys, just know this. Narcissism is the fastest, most lethal cancer your family could ever get. It is such a lethal cancer to relationships. And he's saying, love in, uh, your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. And then he says this, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And it makes me think of all the cartoons we used to see growing up, where there was a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other. Remember those cartoons? And I found myself thinking in life, I wish it was that easy. I wish it was as easy to say, no, that's the devil talking and that's the angel talking. But we don't get a devil on the shoulder and we don't get an angel on the shoulder. No, we just get what seems to sound like one consistent voice and it is learning how do I distinguish what is right and what is wrong, what is of God and what is faulty and of this world, what is of the spirit and what is of the flesh. And guys, track with me on this. This is gonna be pastoral, but this is where we get exposed of our theology. We really get exposed of bad theology when it comes to this matter because we believe that the Spirit of God rose Christ from the dead. That's our theology, that the Spirit of God raised Christ from the dead. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the Spirit of God raised Christ from the dead? Well, here's what Scripture also says. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives and resides in you. Do you believe that? That's your theology, right? We believe that we have resurrecting power at work within us. And here's where we get exposed. Because church, if you can be resurrected by the Spirit, you can be redirected by the Spirit. Come on, what happens is is we overlook the spirit of God at work in our life and we don't lean into the Holy Spirit and his promptings. Church, if you believe that you can be resurrected by the spirit, well, you can be redirected by the spirit. And as you grow in your relationship with Christ, you discover there is a massive difference between being emotionally driven and spiritually led. There is a massive difference between being emotionally driven and spiritually led. And so it is doing the hard work, the internal work, the relational work with your savior, all to develop a sensitivity to that spirit. And when it comes to processing your emotions, it's not suppressing and it's not just projecting. It's somewhere in, the, in between. And I think we, well, we think this is wrong as followers of Christ. We just assume that you know, we just are supposed to give everyone access to our heart. And guys, you should know this. It is not heartless to share your heart less. It's not heartless to share your heart less. And what I would challenge you to do is to open your eyes before you open your heart. Open your eyes before you open your heart. What we do is we just casually, carelessly, unintentionally, accidentally, and unknowingly open ourselves up to really bizarre things which has me thinking of some of the things we fantasize about. Like Romeo and Juliet is culturally known as the epitome of what true love looks like. Romeo and Juliet. If you ever looked at that story and thought, man, these folks were crazy. The Capulets and the Montagues, these two young people. And I think to myself, I don't want my kids to experience anything like Romeo and Juliet. I'd rather them experience what the Simpsons have. And I'm not even a fan of the Simpsons. I'm just saying, two crazy families, two wild young adults, some, some deadly poison and a dagger. At least the Simpsons are still working it out and most of their problems are because of Bart, right? <laughs> I'd rather them have that, but we, we just don't think critically enough, guys. 
We don't pause to think, is this wise? Should I subscribe to this? And we just allow anything into our heart. One time I was at a leadership event where actually Kristen was speaking. And she spoke about the differences between authenticity and transparency. And I loved her follow-up to it because we live in a world where we do. We place a high premium on the two. But there's a radical difference. And here's how she explained it. She said, authenticity tells everybody something. And transparency tells somebody everything. So when it comes to regulating your emotions, that's not living superficial. It's not living disingenuous. I don't even think that's a word. I botched that. But it is saying, listen, you can, well, you can tell everybody something. But you don't need to tell everybody everything. It's learning, hey, who are the trusted people that I've given access and authority into my life? And has learned to process those things well. In church, what you need to know is emotions that go unprocessed, they become emotional projects. If you don't process them well, well, there's an elasticity to your emotions. And what could have been addressed in an hour in the kitchen, well, you suppress it and you get down the road and you pile layers of complexity on it and now it can't be addressed in an hour. Now it needs six months of counseling. There's nothing wrong with counseling. In fact, I am a huge advocate and I personally have gone through counseling. But I'm just saying, what goes unprocessed becomes emotional projects. And so guys, I would say this. Don't neglect and project. Instead, reflect and select. I just need to reflect on what I'm feeling and I need to select the ones that are truthful and helpful in this situation. And I end with this. He, he brings us to that point He builds to this big idea of, guys, do not give the devil a foothold. See, what we fail to realize in life is as we open our heart up, we are giving traction to Satan's agenda in our life. And guys, he is a master manipulator. And what what do manipulators do? They can only work with what you give them to work with. And so it is learning, hey, I just can't give foothold after foothold and traction. And before you know it, you just give more and more traction and Satan begins to climb upon the throne of your heart. And so know this, every foothold, it leads to a stranglehold. Every foothold, it leads to a stranglehold. Guys, you can't be just casual in this area. Don't give traction to the enemy's agenda in your life. So the two options, the choice is yours. You can either take action or you can give traction. You can either take action or you can give traction. And I pray that you start waking up saying, hey, I'm gonna guard my heart because everything in life flows from it. And I'm not giving the enemy a foothold in my family. I'm not giving the enemy a foothold in my marriage. I'm not giving the enemy a foothold in my sanity. I'm not giving him a foothold in my calling and the purpose upon my life. It's my heart, I'm gonna steward it well, amen?